All right, if you have your Bibles, the best part of the morning, please turn in them now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you remember, two weeks ago, we looked at the first three introductory verses to this chapter, and we considered from those verses how we are called by God to salvation and called by God towards sanctification, towards holiness. And then last week, Nathan Lee did a phenomenal job of reading through the entire letter for us. Really, amen. It was so good. Uh, he, he, in his reading, he enabled us to see all the different areas that we are called to, by God to obey him in with our lives. Clearly, throughout this letter, we are called to be holy. We are called to be obedient. And, and now... Paul the Apostle is, is ramping up. He's getting ready to talk very directly about specific areas of growth in our lives. But before he gets there, this morning he takes a moment to celebrate God's grace in the lives of the Corinthians and in our lives as well. So let's begin by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 to 9. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. May God bless the preaching of His Word this morning. Who of us does not enjoy a good commercial, right? The Super Bowl is in only two weeks, and I am pretty sure that at least 50% of those who watch the Super Bowl do so not for the game itself, but for the commercials that they see, right? So some of my personal favorite commercials are Geico commercials. Recently, I have really enjoyed the Geico commercials that, that show people buying a new house and saying that they love the new house except for one thing being wrong with the house. For example, they might say, I, we love our new house, but there is a rat problem because the rat band is playing music loudly up in the attic. Or we love our new house, but there's a clogging problem as a whole family dances in clogs on the wood floor upstairs. Or we love our new house, but there's an animal in the attic as animal from the Muppets is, is pounding on the drums. But my favorite of these commercials is the one where the couple says that we love our new house, but we have an ant problem. And you immediately think that they're talking about little bugs, but in reality, their aunts or their aunts, depending on how you say that word, have infested their house. One aunt leans around the corner, sticks her head out and says, you're slouching again, Ted. Another aunt swipes dust off the shelf and says, it's a lot of house. I hope you can keep it clean. My favorite aunt is Aunt Bonnie, who stands in front of the open refrigerator, taking one item off the shelf after another, saying, expired, expired, expired. And they're just like, thanks, Aunt Bonnie. It's a funny commercial 
Because none of us like nitpicky people. None of us like people who only point out problems or areas of weakness. We don't like people who don't see that we've just bought a whole house, but who immediately think about how hard it is to clean. Nitpicky people annoy us. And so here's the question for us as we begin to dig into the letter of 1 Corinthians. This, this letter, which as we saw last week, is a very challenging letter. Paul points out and corrects many areas of weakness and, and many areas of need within the Corinthian church. He's going to highlight a lot of issues in our lives. Here's the question. Is Paul just being nitpicky? Is Paul like a nagging aunt who only sees the bad and never takes time to encourage? Is he like Aunt Bonnie looking into the Corinthian church and just picking one issue after another and saying, unholy, unholy, unholy? This letter might feel like that to us at times because we don't naturally like to spend time looking at areas of weakness and need in our lives. We might be tempted to get annoyed at Paul rather than to be thankful for his honesty and his pastoral care. But friends, this morning's text, these verses are absolutely essential to you and I rightly understanding, rightly interpreting, and fully benefiting from the rest of this book. R. Kent Hughes in his commentary says that if these verses, the ones that we're looking at today, if these verses were excised or if they were removed from the whole text, it would be impossible for any reader to come to anything but a fairly pessimistic view of the church at Corinth. Without these verses today, this book would be very discouraging. But Redeemer Fellowship, we have these verses. We, we have these verses, and these verses change everything for us in our study. The, the grace of God, the, the mercy of God reflected here and loudly celebrated here in these verses. It sets the tone for the entire rest of this letter. And so listen, today's message is really, really important in our study of 1 Corinthians because it grounds everything else that will be said in this letter. It grounds it all, not, not in our own effort, not even in Paul's own urging or in our own activity. It grounds it in the extraordinary grace of God. These verses, church, these verses are going to keep you and I from just bemoaning sin in our lives. These verses are going to keep us from just living hopeless and defeated and depressed lives as we look at areas of weakness within ourselves. No, rather, these verses are going to lead us to celebrate and to find great hope for ourselves and for each other and for our whole church community together. They're so important. The main idea for our message today is simply this. Celebrating God's grace enables us to grow in God's grace. Celebrating God's grace enables us to grow in God's grace. We have three points. Number one, the gift of grace. Number two, the evidence of grace. And number three, the promise of grace. Point number one, the gift of grace. Look at verse four. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. 
Church, perhaps the most important word in this first section of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is that word because in verse 4. It is the Greek word epi, which means because, or it means on the grounds of. It is spoken of as the occasioning cause or the basis on which an action rests. So Paul starts by saying, I give thanks to my God always for you, but he doesn't leave it there. He says, because, or I give thanks to my God always for you on the basis of something else. Paul's grateful for the Corinthian church. He really is. He wants them to know his gratitude, but he also wants them to know that his gratitude is not based solely on who they are in themselves. No, as we're going to see in a few moments, there is very little to be grateful for in the Corinthian church themselves. But Paul still says that he thanks God for them. Why? On what basis? Because of the grace of God that was given them. Anthony Thistleton says that the the focus, the focus, he zeroes in, the focus of Paul's thanksgiving is the gracious deeds of God, not the qualities which the recipients of this grace may possess in and of themselves. Paul's focus this morning is not on the qualities that they or that we possess in ourselves, but rather on the gracious deeds of God in their lives. And church, this is essential to us understanding and benefiting from the rest of this letter together. Why? Well, because without this basis, without that word because and all of the words that follow, without this foundation, there is nothing to thank God for in the Corinthian church. And when I say nothing, I kind of really do mean nothing. Let me introduce you to the Corinthian church. First of all, the the city of Corinth was a Roman city that was at the very center of an important trade route in the ancient world. And so a simple reading of the introduction to the city of Corinth in your study Bible will tell you that as a central trade route, it was a place where many cultures came together. It was a, a fruitful, it was a very prosperous city, but, but as a center of a trade route where people would come and go very quickly, it was also a city where a lot of different religious and idolatrous beliefs could be introduced and then accepted and then practiced. And also as a center of a trade route where lots of people came and went very quickly, it was where a lot of sexual immorality was found as well. And in addition to that, the city of Corinth seemed to be very bent towards social snobbery. They they thought of themselves very highly as the cultured and socially adept of their day because they had so much cultural experiences around them. There were many issues in the Corinthian city. And and as we read through this letter, we quickly realize that the issues within the city had made its way into the church. This local church also cared too much for worldly wisdom and empty philosophy. This local church also had factions or social cliques within themselves. This local church had rampant sexual immorality within itself. They had divisions among themselves. They were actually taking each other to court and suing each other. 
This local church seemed unwilling to submit to pastoral and apostolic authority. They were creating their own version of spirituality in which spiritual gifts were were idolized and then even abused. They, They were not loving one another well, but were rather acting in ways that were causing each other to stumble. Church, I don't know about you, but I can see myself in the Corinthian church. By God's grace, I don't see myself in every area here, but in many ways, I I do. I see pride in my life. I think of myself more highly than I ought. I I see selfishness in my leadership. I see selfishness in how I act at home. I'm aware of the impurity of my own thoughts. I see how much I idolize and worship things in this world rather than Jesus. I'm aware of my materialism and my my love for physical things. So before I stand over those in the Corinthian church, I think that I need to see myself as a member of the Corinthian church. And friend, I think that you should too. We, We are all weak and broken. We are all marked by sin and pride. I wonder for you, what, what sin are you most aware of this morning? What sin did you struggle with most this past week? Are you, are you walking in the flesh? Are you walking in pride? Is there conflicts that are unresolved in your life? Are you listening to the wisdom of the world more than to the wisdom of God's word? I wonder where you see and feel sin most strongly in your life today. We could all be members of the Corinthian church in one form or another. But listen to what Paul says. He says, despite all of this, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. He speaks of the grace of God that was given to them. This is so beautiful and so important to see together. Though Paul is fully aware of all of their issues and many of their faults, Paul calls to mind the past reality of the gospel in their lives. He he calls to mind the fact that they were saved by God's grace, that, that apart from their works, apart from their performance, apart from their obedience, they were given grace in Christ Jesus. This is the gift of grace that we're speaking of. This is the gospel that we celebrate. Now, now Paul is is ramping up to talk about some very difficult things with us. But before he does that, he calls to mind the reality of God's grace in our lives. And listen, he speaks of it in the past tense. The grace of God that was given to you. Why? Here's why. Because it's a grace that has been accomplished for us. It's a grace that is not contingent. It's a grace that is not precarious. It's a grace that is not in danger of being lost depending on your performance. No, Paul thanks God for them because of the grace of God that was given them in Christ Jesus. It's theirs. The the gospel says this morning, Christian, that, that apart from your own goodness, Apart from your own obedience, apart from your level of holiness, apart from how churchy you feel or not, God loves you and he has saved you for himself. Christian, rejoice with me in that this morning. God loves you and he has saved you for himself. Rejoice. This is amazing grace. 
Paul wants us to know more than anything else as we start this difficult letter together. He wants us to know that we are secure in Jesus and in his grace. In fact, he wants us to know it so bad that he keeps talking about Jesus. This is so amazing. In in the first 10 verses of this letter, we see Jesus Christ referenced 10 times. John Chrysostom from the the 4th century, the ancient church father, said about this passage, nowhere in any other epistle does the name of Christ occur so continually in so few verses. And he's right. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Verse 2, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, to those, or 2, to those who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I give thanks because of the grace of God that was given in Christ. Verse 6, he speaks of the testimony of Christ. Verse 7, he says you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 10, I appeal to you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again and again, 10 times in 10 short verses. That's not accidental. That is very intentional. Paul wants us to know unequivocally this morning that we are secure in Jesus. Redeemer Fellowship, as we start this series together, As we prepare for the year ahead, let's remember more than anything else that we are secure in Jesus. The the gift of God's grace in and through his son Jesus, it enables us now not to view Paul as a nitpicky uncle, just correcting everything about us. No, remembering the gift of God's grace enables us to see the great work that God has done and the great work that he is promising to still do in our midst. Now, maybe you feel like this is all just wishful thinking on Paul's part. Maybe you are a little bit more pessimistic about the Corinthian church or maybe even a little more pessimistic about your own self. Maybe as you consider all the areas that you need to grow in as a Christian, you wonder to yourself whether Paul is really being sincere here or not. You know how people can oftentimes flatter us? They can butter us up only in order to to come around with a correction later on. When, When that happens, it feels like they only spoke those things, they only flattered us in order to prepare us for what they really wanted to say. We might be tempted to think that that's what Paul's doing here, but it's not. That's not what we have here. No, Paul does not just flatter the Corinthian church because not only does he say that he thanks God for them, but he also gives examples of how he sees God at work in their lives, very specific ways. That brings us to our second point, point number two, the evidence of grace. Again, verse four, Paul thanks God for them because of the grace of God that was given them in Christ Jesus. And now look at verse five, it says, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift. 
So so not only does Paul say that he thanks God for them because of God's grace that had been given to them initially through salvation, but he also gives some very specific ways that he has seen God's grace at work in their lives. And this is wonderful leadership. This is pastoral care at its finest. He is very intentional here. The the things that Paul highlights here are not just random areas of grace in their lives. No, he very intentionally chooses to encourage them by highlighting evidence of God's grace. Listen, evidences of God's grace in the very areas that he is going to need to correct them in later on. Look, Look at it with me. First of all, we need to notice the word enriched. He says that they were enriched in him. Later on in chapter 4, he will say, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. There's a lot of, of language about wealth in First and Second Corinthians. The, the point is made by many commentators that that is distinct from other letters that are written. Why? Well, because it's very likely that the Corinthian church had begun to brag about their riches in Christ. They were flaunting their spiritual insight and power and and bragging about how they were more spiritually wealthy than others around them. And, And Paul is wanting, he's needing to correct that pride. He's wanting and needing to correct that error in them. But he doesn't correct the error by telling them that they are spiritually bankrupt. No, he corrects the error by lovingly highlighting the truth of how rich they truly are in Christ. He validates them even though he still needs to correct them. We could see it again in verse 5 when he says that they were enriched in every way in all speech and all knowledge. Those two words are so important and so significant in that they're here in this introduction. Why? Well, because speech and knowledge are exactly what the Corinthian church seems to brag about most. They take particular pride in their oratory skill and excellence and in their philosophical knowledge. And Paul needs to correct their pride and their error. But he doesn't say that they have no strength or power in those ways. He celebrates the fact that God's grace had been given to them and made them rich in these areas. He just needs to adjust how they exercise those gifts. We see it again in verses 6 and 7. Paul says, Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. My version actually says, so that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. And I think that that is a better translation because I think that in this introduction, Paul is wanting to encourage them in the very areas that he needs to correct them later on. And we know that in chapters 12 to 14, Paul is going to talk extensively about spiritual gifts and he's going to bring a lot of correction. And so I think that what he's doing here is that he is seeking to encourage them in the very areas that he needs to adjust them in. He says, you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. Praise God for that. This is God's grace in your lives. But now let's just adjust how we think about this gift and how we seek to apply it in our lives and in the church. Friends, do you see how encouraging this is? Listen, listen, Paul the Apostle was not afraid to speak the truth and to speak it very bluntly. If, if you were a false teacher, Paul's coming at you and he's saying, you are a wolf in sheep's clothing. 
If you are a non-Christian, he's coming at you. He's saying, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You're, you're no better than a corpse. He's, he's not afraid to say hard things. And so if this group of people in Corinth were not truly saved by God's grace, if there was no evidence for their salvation, if there was nothing to encourage, he would not have flattered them by saying that there was. So Paul, Paul cares too much for their souls to speak empty flattery to them. But here's the great thing. He didn't need to speak empty flattery to them because he really did see how God's grace had saved them and how it had begun to change them. Paul had spent a year and a half with this local church. He had laid the foundation of the gospel in their midst and he had seen with his own eyes how the gospel had borne fruit in them as a church. And so Paul wants them to remember that as Christians... They, they did not just hear a, a philosophical idea called the gospel, as if it was just one of many different religions or philosophies introduced in the Corinthian city. No, he wants them to remember together that they had heard and that they had been radically transformed by this gospel. It's not like any other philosophy out there. Paul wants them to remember the power that the gospel has had on their lives. He wants them to see the evidence in their lives and to gain confidence from that as they move forward together. And so, friend, if you are a Christian here this morning, let Paul pastor you today. Let him care for your soul. Let him lovingly remind you of God's grace at work in your life. See, I think that that so many times as Christians, we live defeated lives rather than victorious lives in Jesus. We can live as if we are failures rather than as if Jesus has truly been raised from the dead and we can forget that we too have been raised with him. But Paul doesn't get stuck in being defeated. Paul allows the victory of Christ to determine how he sees himself and how he sees and thinks about those around him. Friends, there's a reason why he begins this letter with these verses which celebrate our identity in Jesus so loudly and why he ends the letter in chapter 15 by talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And this should be the way that we think too. This, this celebration of grace, this celebration of resurrection power, this focus on what God has done in us rather than whatever level of godliness or obedience you see or do not see in your life no, the, this focus for Paul is on victory. It is on Christ and the work that he has accomplished in our lives. And he's saying there's evidence for it in our midst. And so find strength and find joy. It should be our focus as well. And listen, it should be our focus for ourselves. And it should be our focus for each other. Paul's insistence that we see the grace of God in the Corinthian church despite their many, 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 many failures, his example here should first affect the way that we think about ourselves. Too many Christians today are like Aunt Bonnie just to themselves. They're looking into their own lives and being nitpicky. All they can see is unholy, ungodly, unrighteous. But they forget that through the gospel that They've just bought a whole new house. Everything's changed because of Jesus. 
Christian, you, you may be very discouraged because of your ongoing battle with sin and your struggle with your flesh. You may be far more aware of your failures than you are of your victories. There might be a lot of cleaning that needs to happen in the house. But listen, you need to remember this morning that God looks at you in the same way that Paul looks at the Corinthian church and he says, holy. He says, righteous. He says, a new house has been built here. He celebrates that though you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you are now alive together with Christ. And he rejoices. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck you from his hand. Christian, this is how God sees you, and this is how you should see yourself. Do we need to clean the house? Yeah. There are things that we need to look at and we need to grow in, sure. There are ways that we must become more holy. But as we pursue those areas, we must remember with Paul that we are already saved by God's grace and that there is evidence for it in our lives. You know, I wonder if there are some here this morning who are struggling in a particular way and who are struggling in a particular way with doubt, doubting their faith, maybe because of a lack of growth, you doubt whether you are even a Christian today. You see other people growing. You see other people worshiping with joy. And when you compare yourself to them, you doubt whether you are even a Christian or not. Well, friends, Paul's words here should greatly encourage you. Because the Corinthian church had many, many reasons to doubt their salvation. They were not the most godly people in the room, but yet Paul celebrates and Paul affirms their salvation in Christ and he highlights the evidence that he does see for that salvation in their life. Listen, if you are a Christian, but you struggle with doubt, you need to know how God views you. He views you as being righteous in Christ Jesus. He, he doesn't first see your sin. He sees the righteousness of his son. And so you do not need to expect perfection in your life. And your struggle for faith through doubt, the struggle itself is evidence of his grace in your life. Because apart from him, you would not care. You would not even be struggling at all. But now, not only does Paul's words shape how we view ourselves, Paul's words here should also shape the way that we see others. Other than, other than the sacrifice of Jesus himself for those who were his enemies, other than that example, I don't know of a greater leadership example than what Paul does in this moment. He intentionally chooses to see and to highlight and to celebrate the grace of God more than any other issue in the Corinthian church. He, he had ample reason to just lambast them for their sin and just to begin to correct them from verse 1. But, but he doesn't do that. Why? Well, because Paul has eyes that have been trained to see God's grace in others. And what a, what a powerful demonstration of, of leadership this is. How this should be, how we as Christians lead, and how we care for one another. Because not only do we tend to be nitpicky about ourselves, no, we also tend to be nitpicky towards others as well, right? Like, we love to look at other people's sins. We love to highlight their sins and to focus on their sins. But this passage should challenge that in us. How do you view the person in your fellowship group 
who is really hard to love and just plain difficult to be around? Do you view them only through their weakness? Or do you fight to see, not just see, but to celebrate God's grace in their lives? If you do, you will find it, friends, much easier to have patience towards them, and it will likely bring about greater change in their lives. Why? Because celebrating God's grace enables us to grow in God's grace. Many of us just need to be encouraged. Parents. Moms and dads, what do do your kids hear from you more than anything else? Do they hear your critique or do they hear you celebrating where you see God's grace in their lives? Husbands and wives, what, what does your spouse hear from you more than anything else? Do you always just jump into the correction or do you take intentional, sincere time to encourage and honor? We should pursue this together, church. And again, it's not empty flattery. No, if that person in your life is a Christian, then there absolutely is something to celebrate. It might not always be easy to find, but there is something to there to, to find, and you should do the work to get there. Because celebrating God's grace enables us to grow in God's grace. Listen, even if they are not a Christian, they are still made in the image of God and therefore deserving of your love and respect, and you can choose to celebrate the good that you see in them, and it could be that God uses that to draw them to Christ himself. You know, I want to I speak to a specific group of people here. I was, I was preparing this, and I just felt like the Spirit wanted me to talk to siblings in the room. Uh, brothers and sisters, or brother and brother, or Sister and sister, and I think it's specifically of those in the teen years, but it could apply to any age, I suppose. But I think that there are siblings here who have begun to see their sibling uh, for only the bad in their life, and who have a hard time seeing them and talking to them in any way but with anger or frustration. And I believe God is calling you, reminding you now to view them as Paul views the Corinthian church with grace and humility, and to celebrate the good that you see in their lives, and to believe that that relationship can be restored, that relationship can be strengthened in in tremendous ways as you initiate in this way. Rather than being critical, you choose to honor and encourage and, and strengthen. I just believe the Lord wants to encourage a brother or a sister in this room in that way. Friends, this is the evidence of Grace, And this brings us to our third and to our final point. Point number three, the promise of grace. I've been studying 1 Corinthians for a long time now, and I'll never forget when I, when I, when I first began to dig into verses 7 and 9. They, they blew me away. Verses 7 and 9, Paul says, You are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ 
our Lord. Paul is now beginning to look forward. He, he knows that the Corinthian church, he knows that we have a journey out in front of us. He knows that that journey is not always going to be easy. He knows that we're going to be tempted to discouragement and condemnation and shame on this journey. He knows that we're going to feel defeated on the journey. He knows that we're going to be tempted to quit on the journey. He knows that we might be tempted to argue while on the journey. Paul, Paul is looking ahead, but even as he does, he knows that we can have confidence throughout this journey. He, he has already spoken about the gift of God's grace which has already been given to us. He's already spoken of the evidence of it in our lives, but now he's looking forward and he is wanting us to know Redeemer Fellowship with joyful confidence that that same grace given in the past will continue to sustain us into the future till the end. He's already mentioned Jesus Christ 10 times and now he says that Jesus, King Jesus, raised from the dead, reigning on high, is actively working to sustain us. Actively, intentionally, personally giving us what we need to keep going. He will sustain us till the end. This, this should just fill your soul with hope and confidence that you can keep going no matter what you are going through. Whether it be trials or whether it be just an awareness of your own sin, you don't have to stop considering that. You can continue to pursue sanctification because Christ is with you and he will sustain you through it all. You know, I was, I was recently talking to somebody about how bad I am at video games. I'm really bad at video games. Ask my kids. I am horrible at all, all of them. Every game that I play, even Mario Kart. Now, I like Mario Kart, but I am terrible at it. But you know when, when you're playing Mario Kart, there are those glowing squares or those coins or those, those diamonds that when you drive through them, they, they strengthen you and they, they at times speed you up on the journey and the music gets all fast and you, everything bounces off of you along the way. It just moves you forward. Friends, the, the glowing star in our journey is Jesus. And Paul is seeking to drive us through Jesus again and again. He's, he's driving us right through the grace of God and the, the hope of the gospel. He's, he's seeking to empower us to keep going on this journey, to keep running this race set before us. And what he says here is that the power will not run out for us. In Mario Kart, it only lasts for a few seconds, and then the music dies down, and then I die. That's how it happens every single time. Not so with Jesus. Jesus will sustain us till the very end. His grace promises to be with us every step of the way. And his grace promises to protect us along the way. Do you see how it says, Jesus will sustain us till the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's talking about the Corinthian church. They are not guiltless. But he says that Jesus Christ will sustain them to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is going to talk about some very difficult issues in our lives. But the point is not guilt. The point is not condemnation. Guilt and condemnation and shame, those things are from the devil himself. Guilt and shame make us look away from Jesus and to ourselves. They take our eyes off of where they need to be. You know, in Mario Kart, sometimes that squid squirts the ink all over the screen. 
and it distracts us and ruins our focus. The devil loves to throw the ink of our guilt and condemnation and shame and block our view from what God is really doing. But Paul reminds us that because of the grace of God, we can continue on Redeemer Fellowship and we can continue on guiltless until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Guiltless, accepted, redeemed by his blood. We can deal We can deal with trials. We can deal with sinful issues in our lives and in our families. We can confess our pride and our lust. We can acknowledge our bitterness and our division. We can do all of that, not not as an expression of condemnation, not to feel more shame, but as a celebration of God's grace because we know that God has already dealt with our sin definitively and he is simply wanting to sanctify us out of our sin even more. Paul says, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Church, he is faithful. He will enable us to finish our journey well. And so let's celebrate grace together. Let's let's make much of Jesus. Let's make much of the work that he has done in our lives. Let's sing and dance and shout and declare his goodness. Let's not be afraid to tackle hard issues together. Let's be eager to get messy in the work of sanctification because we know that Jesus will sustain us till the very end. Celebrating God's grace enables us to grow in God's grace. Celebrating and focusing our thoughts on who he is and what he's done enables us to be changed more into the image of Christ day after day. Let's pray.